Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. As many chiropractors will already know, the theme for Spinal Health Week 2023 is all about headaches. It's the third most common reason people first consult with a chiropractor, so clearly an area of interest for the chiropractic profession. To celebrate Spinal Health Week, uh, we are presenting a three-part series on headaches. In this podcast, podcast one, we'll be identifying the serious headache, we'll discuss the international classification of headache disorders, have a deep dive into migraines, and finally talk about the biopsychosocial considerations and other tips on headache management. In podcast two, there'll be a focus on tension headaches, cervicogenic headaches, how to explain your rationale for headache management, both to health professionals and the public, and the safety of manual therapies in managing headaches. And finally, in podcast three, we'll cover just about everything else that we didn't get through in the first two podcasts. Now, joining me today on the ACA podcast is Associate Professor Peter Tushin, a well-known chiropractic researcher, academic, and headache expert. Now, Peter retired from Macquarie University after 27 years as Associate Professor. His area of interest and research include the relationship of posture with neck pain, headaches and migraine, chronic pain syndromes, and the relationship of vertebral artery dissection and stroke. In addition, Peter has worked at WorkCover New South Wales as team leader and was employed as a national occupational health and safety manager. Peter has also uh, uh, produced 60 papers that have been accepted for international scientific journals and has received several international research rewards. Peter conducted one of the largest randomized controlled trials on chiropractic for migraine and recently completed a systematic literature review on manual therapy for migraine. Hi, Peter, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me to be here. Now, I guess the first thing we need to consider is red flags. Uh, Serious pathology makes up only a small fraction of the headaches likely to present to a chiropractor, Uh, but when they do present, we certainly don't want to miss them. So what do we look for in history and examination to screen for red flags? Yeah, so as you said, screening for red flags is a a very important issue. Um, So in addition to the usual questions chiropractors would ask, so uh, when the headache commenced, uh, if there was any particular reason, um, a- any changes uh, recently, uh, aggravating or leaving factor. In addition to those standard questions we ask in, in uh, history, um, the key questions are a change in headache pattern. So if the person has had lots of headaches, but then recently this headache is very different, that's a critical factor. Um if it's the first headache for somebody when they're older than 50 years old, um, that's also a very critical factor, particularly with uh, cerebral bleeds or intracranial um, problems. Um, if the pain uh, wakes the person up from sleep, so that's a you know clear factor, red flag factor for a lot of conditions, but in particular 
headaches as well. Uh, same thing with constant pain, which doesn't get relieved by anything. Um, vomiting, but particularly projectile vomiting. So that indicates that there's um, some raising in the intracranial pressure, and that's a, a really a medical emergency. Um, and in particular, if they've had any recent head or neck trauma, um, which was associated with loss of consciousness. And I'd also just throw in being very watchful of potential um, vertebral artery dissection symptoms, um, which, you know, in the early phases can mimic stroke. Um, and if we document them well, worst case scenario, if something happens medico-legally, um, it makes a, a much stronger defence. That's great information. And I think for many of those things, when it's very black and white, um, most chiropractors would be fairly clear and understanding of the need to refer projectile vomiting or a serious head trauma, you know, to want to perhaps um, get further imaging and so forth. But I guess I want to tease it out a little bit and just talk about the when they're a bit more of a soft sign. So, that you know, the the 55-year-old who doesn't usually get headaches but has been working at the computer a lot is now getting stiff necks and for the first time is experiencing headaches. How do you tease that out or work within that grey zone and, and when does it become a trigger for, for, a, for referral or at least for imaging? Yeah, so uh, good question. As I was saying, if they've got any additional um, vertebral artery or, or stroke symptoms like uh, diplopia, dysphagia, dysarthria, uh, drop ataxia, ataxia, nausea, all those sort of things might indicate there's something more serious happening. And in that situation, depending on the, on the quality and the onset of some of those symptoms, the chiropractor might feel this needs to be followed up urgently. Um, and so, you know, potentially sending the person off to, by ambulance to an emergency department um, if the if the onset of those symptoms is pretty severe. Mm. Um, the situation in Australia, of course, for us, uh, referring for, a, for an MRI or a better study for uh, a migraine and vertebral artery problems is MRA. Um, we can refer directly, but usually that doesn't get covered by Medicare. So most of the time we have to go back through the person's GP um, and even with Doppler studies, uh, you know, it's going to be covered better under uh, Medicare if it comes from a medical practitioner referral than us. But, you know, if the chiropractor feels there, there's a potential emergency, yeah, I would recommend um, getting an ambulance and getting them to an emergency department as soon as possible. Absolutely. And, and if we just sort of take that grey question uh, again in terms of the, okay, we're not really dealing with a medical emergency, but someone, say, for example, has had a bit of a change in their headache pattern. Uh, you're not really thinking, uh, a, you know, a, a vascular uh, emergency, but you you want sort of to bring someone else into the picture um, and perhaps uh, get more information when um, or, or what is the sort of standard test, if there is one, um, for investigating headaches further say for example one that's changed in pattern i used to get just a bit of an occipital ache when my neck used to get sore but now i'm getting really um much more in another part of the head something that's different than what i've experienced before is that someone that you would refer out for an mri or what would be the typical um i guess test that a chiropractor would want to uh, have performed on this patient you'd, you'd really want to delve into their uh 
vascular history as well. So do they have history of blood pressure problems with their triglycerides or like if they've had regular tests for that, if that's being monitored, if they're on medication for any of those things? Because those vascular problems are the, the medical emergency we want to avoid. If all of that's clear, then, you know, it can be just a steady accumulation of musculoskeletal symptoms that we've all in, encountered. Um, and if you've really feel confident and you've screened out for potential for serious uh, pathologies and red flags, then uh, going ahead with some, uh, a course of uh, physical treatment, manual therapies is justified. Mm, absolutely. Um, now, I want to talk about the um, International Classification of Headache Disorders. We're now up to the uh, third iteration of the ICHD. Um, I took a look at it the other day, and it's pretty comprehensive um, and sort of reasonably user-friendly in terms of the way they lay everything out with primary headaches, secondary headaches, uh, and I think the third one is neuropathies and facial pain. Do you want to just talk through what, what this document is is all about and how it might be of use to chiropractors? Yeah, as you said, it's a, an extremely thorough document, but it's, it, it is quite user-friendly. Um, so as you've just mentioned, they define them, divide them up into primary, secondary and other types of headaches. So primary headaches are migraines, tension headache, cluster headache, those sort of types, and, and obviously secondary headaches, uh, headaches which they believe have come through uh, another cause. So things like uh, uh, sinusitis, eye conditions, uh, dehydration, um, et cetera. So um, they estimate that there's more than 300 types of headaches. Wow. So to go through the, the document in its entirety and, and look at every single headache is is, is complex. Um, but it is a, a good document to be familiar with. And also, if you do need to refer through your GP, through the patient's GP to a neurologist, um, showing that understanding of the uh, ICHD um, is, is really helpful. Now, while there's uh, so many different type of headaches, uh, Spinal Health Week is focusing on three of the more popular ones, migraine, tension headaches, and cervicogenic. And today's conversation, we want to go and have a bit more of a dive into migraines, which is, of course, uh, your area of, of specialty. You've published uh, in this space quite a bit. Um, tell us a little bit about what we need to know about migraines. Yeah, so migraine is a, a common and very debilitating a headache. There's a quite a wide range of um, estimates with the prevalence and the cost. Um, initially, it was always said that about twelve uh, percent of the population, so one in eight, um, would experience a migraine, and and the ratio is three to one for females to males. So it's about eighteen percent of the pop of the female population, six percent of the male population. Um, but those figures have, have recently. Uh, been increased. So uh, now talking about one in five, 20, 20%, 21% of wow. people can experience migraine. So it's, a, it's an increase. Um, and same with the costs. The costs have uh, increased substantially. Uh, recently, there was a, a, a substantial report which uh, ACA has on their uh, website referenced, the uh, Deloitte report. And uh, they now estimate when you factor in everything combined in, in terms of not only the healthcare costs, but then productivity, support, carers, everything, um, that it's $35 billion per wow. annum, which is a substantial figure. Uh, WHO estimate there's more than a billion migraine sufferers on the planet. 
So it's a it's a substantial problem. And a lot of these uh, figures are, are reported as being um, underestimated. So there's still some degree of um, stigma associated with migraine. So people might not say they're not at work today because of migraine. They might just say they're sick. And so there's a reasonable likelihood that a lot of these figures are actually underreported. So a lot of the times people will come into chiropractors or other health professionals and say, I've got a migraine. And then when you really tease that out a little bit further, it's, it's possibly a, a more severe tension headache, tension type headache or another type of headache. Uh, what in particular makes a migraine and what makes it different from other headaches? Yeah, and this is the dilemma for uh, clinicians um, getting this this diagnosis correct because there's so much overlap between all of the headache symptoms. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the, is a, a diagnosis absolutely critical? Well, not really, as long as we've eliminated all potential red flags. But traditionally, migraine is described as a severe headache, so visual angle, analog scores of eight or more. Um, it has to affect activities of daily living, so people have to cease their activity. So if someone comes in saying, I had a migraine, but I stay at work, well, traditionally that would be so, or that would be not described as a migraine. Um, and then you get all the additional uh, typical migraine features. It can be nausea with or without vomiting, photophobia, phonophobia, uh, osmophobia, people get very sensitive to smells. Um, a lot of migraine will have uh, the traditional aura features, so these transient neurological symptoms, which are often um, visual. So people get the, the flashing lights, change in vision, tunnel vision, um, but it can be a, a wide variety. Each migraine sufferer almost has their individual uh, gamut of, of symptoms, but they also uh, are very aware of a potential trigger feature, um, what's called uh, prodrome, um, prodrome's uh, sense of impending doom. Mm. So people, migraine sufferers will say, if I start losing my vision in part of my eye or I change taste or something, then I know if I don't act quickly, I'm, I might end up with a, a full-blown migraine where uh, classically people are in, in a dark room, quiet, ice packs on their head to try and alleviate this um, de very debilitating problem. So there's a lot of different uh, migraine variants and, and one of the ones that I guess in the last, uh, I'd say, five to ten years that uh, people are talking about a whole lot more uh, vestibular migraines. Um, mm. can, you, can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, so it's a paramount uh, uh, vertigo, obviously, um, and it can look the, the same thing. There's some um, different terms that get thrown around, vertigo imbalance, dizziness. Um, it's, it's often re referred to as uh, migraine-associated vertigo. Um, so people have a uh, difficulty with with balance. It's aggravated often by head movement. So as they, they move their head around, they really get more spinning and imbalance. Um, they can often have this this nausea, but it's, it's kind of more related to um, motion. Uh, so it's more like motion sickness. So people will feel nauseous because they're moving. Um, often people would describe pretty substantial head pressure. So it feels like the pressure is really building up. Again, uh, migraines often described as a throbbing headache. Um, 
classically it's more unilateral, but that doesn't mean it can't be bilateral both sides. And it does, and it certainly doesn't mean it's only ever locked on one side. People will say, oh, I always get a migraine on the left side. This is right side. Therefore, it's not migraine. No, that's just not true. Um, it can, it's not as, as the terminology side locked. Yeah. So it can bounce around. Um, people with vestibular migraine tend to not get that. They don't have it unilateral bilateral. It's just the, the whole whole head. Um, and they'll often describe pretty significant neck pain yeah. um, and often also tinnitus. And I think this is an area which is very significant for chiropractors. There's a, a, a good probability that the cervical spine is contributing to the neurological overload and by, you know, trying to... Uh, change their neck we can reduce that um neurological uh stimulation uh and we'll definitely get into that uh side of things a little bit more in just a few moments one and other just while i remember anthony there's a yeah. there's a, a, a quite a good um a youtube clip uh an american um md carol foster she does a, a really effective treatment for uh, positional vertigo so mm -hmm. if, if chiropractors just google that it's a very simple uh, treatment technique to to add as an ancillary therapy. Um, the only word of caution is with any vestibular problem, vertigo problems, um, treatment often triggers yeah. uh, nausea and vomiting. So yeah. you need to make the patient aware that you know this could happen. Mm, have the bucket ready just in case. Yeah, unfortunately. So that was actually going to be my question: was um, how do you distinguish between a BPPV and a vestibular migraine? Yeah, that's the triggers. Um, so, you know, how pronounced the effect of the vertigo is with different head postures and, and changing positions and can can you elucidate uh, vomiting? So if it's BPPV, probably not as, as easily, whereas some of these uh, um, vestibular migraine, uh, definitely you're more likely to trigger it in your rooms. Um Migraine, the way it's experienced in children, is often quite different to adults. So, can we talk about exactly. the kid? Can we talk about the kids for a bit? Yeah, so that's the what's often called abdominal migraine um, because the paramount symptoms are usually gastroenterology, uh, gastrointestinal. Um, so, children will complain a lot about nausea and vomiting. It can um, produce substantial vomiting. So they also call it cyclical vomiting uh, syndrome. And that's particularly uh, paramount in young children uh, under the age of five. Um, and obviously, as a primary care practitioner, that cyclical vomiting is a, a potential alert because they can uh, dehydrate very quickly and dehydration in a child is a serious um, event. So mm -hmm. if you've experienced that in, in clinic, you, you probably want to get this child to an emergency department as soon as possible. Now, there's been yeah. a, a lot of uh, publication around migraine. Um, there's been some really important papers uh, that should be of high interest to uh, the chiropractic profession in this area. Can you run through what are the key things that all chiropractors must read um, and perhaps just very <laughs> briefly what their uh, key findings were? Yeah, look, I, uh, one of the first ones I'd recommend, it's an old paper, but it's still, I think, a very good paper, 1998 by Nelson. Um, that was one of the earlier uh, studies looking at spinal manipulation. They compared it to a, a common treatment, amitriptyline, and it did show uh, very good results. Um, and it was a large sample size as well. So, you know, I think that's a, if people aren't familiar with that one, it's a good one to look up. Um, and, of course, there's a, a, a fantastic study published in 
2000. <laughs> so, yeah. I had to throw that one in. Yeah, um, of course. Look, uh, my randomised control trial, um, I, I think, is also a good one to read because it was specifically for chiropractic treatment. Um, we followed the same sort of methodology that an earlier study had followed, the Parker study, um, and we tried to, uh, you know, limit some of the the uh, uh, poor qualities of the Parker trial, and, and it did show good results in reducing migraine frequency. The intensity didn't change that much, so the visual analog scores didn't really reduce that much, um, but the disability and the duration of the migraine were reduced, and most important for uh, sufferers is uh, re- a pretty significant reduction in medication use. Yeah. And for migraine sufferers, that's a big factor. They, they just don't like relying on medication. Um, recently, uh, a chiropractor in uh, Norway, uh, Alex Charby, um, he uh, did his PhD looking at chiropractic treatment for migraine as well as cervicogenic headache. Um, so he produced some good studies um, struggled a little bit with sample size, um, but they're still really uh, strong methodologies, so they're good papers as well. Um, there was a systematic literature review published in uh, 2019 by uh, Pamela Rist, RIST. Um, that's a very thorough uh, systematic review and importantly concluded that um, spinal manipulation and other manual therapies are effective for migraine. Um, and as you mentioned in the introduction, I've, I've actually completed a, a scoping review for manual therapies of migraines, which will hopefully be published sometime this year, um, either in JMPT or possibly the Journal of the Canadian Chiropractic Association. It was actually a, a project funded by the Ontario Chiropractic Association. So I did a, a fairly substantial literature review and found quite a lot of good papers showing that manual therapies, in particular uh, physical treatment, spinal manipulation is one of them. Um, there's good evidence to say a trial of treatment for migraine sufferers is justified. Mm. And look, we'll have all those um, uh, the, uh, or the, the links to those five papers in the notes. And of course, if, you can, only, if you can only read two of them, Tushin 2000, Tushin 2023. <laughs> Other, I, other I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. But, but certainly uh, it sounds like migraine sort of fits into that pattern. I know we're going to talk more about this in podcast two of being um, a potential trigger, um, you know, as far as the spine is concerned, as opposed to cervicogenic headaches where it's more or less identified as the cause. Uh, would you say that's yeah. a fair a fair summary? Look, there still is a bit of controversy about um triggers and, and causes scientifically to establish causation is quite complex. Um, and so can we say that neck problems cause uh, migraines? Probably not, but they're certainly associated with it and they can be a trigger event. Um, right. And for a clinician, I mean, that's the key key uh, key factor. So if the clinician is satisfied that there are, are no red flags or any red flags are, are being carefully monitored, um, in trialling some treatment for the person's uh, neck problems and, mo- and measuring, monitoring the migraine effects um, is is justified and, and evidence-based. It's a really uh, sensible and scientific approach, that's for sure. Um, so the biopsychosocial approach is one that most chiropractors feel comfortable with. It's a holistic way of um, looking at someone's well-being. 
And certainly we know that stress is a major exactly. or a huge factor really in, um, in headache presentation. So what are some of the th key considerations that we need to be thinking of in, in this space? Yeah, the uh, biopsychosocial is, is extremely important. And as you've mentioned, stress can be a, a very substantial trigger factor for people. So just understanding more about um, the language we should use if we're discussing um, mental health problems with patients. Um, same thing, there's quite a lot of stigma associated with mental health problems. So, you know, people need to tread pretty carefully. And um, I, I just completed the training to do uh, to get, be on the lifeline phones for the telephone crisis supports. So I've been on the phones for a couple of years. And one of the things that's really paramount there is this non-judgmental um, language. So everyone's different. People might have substantial triggers for something that you and I would think isn't isn't significant, but mm. to them it is. Yeah. And just looking at that, um, what, you know, what we define as, as empathy rather than sympathy. So just really listening to the person and hearing how much that's affecting them without uh, trying to, to change it. It's always tricky as a clinician. We want to find solutions. Yeah. So people, you know, we want to give people solutions. So when someone's coming in and they're really stressed, you know, you, the, the temptation is to say, but you've got so many great things happening. Unfortunately, someone that's suffering a lot of mental health problems like depression, um, it can often have exactly the reverse condition. Mm -hmm. uh, and the example I would choose is somebody with an eating disorder. If you say somebody that's very low in weight, that they're not uh, low in weight, it just doesn't change them at all. It makes them think you're just being nice and they you can see that I'm clearly way overweight. And you think, no, that's not what I'm saying. But the person that's hearing it has a very different uh, response. So, And that's critical because, unfortunately, chronic pain um, has very strongly been shown to affect uh, mental health and contribute to suicide, uh, suicidality and certainly suicide rates. So it's something that we need to be aware of. And, and um, I, I'm very happy to look uh, to, to doing more mental health training for chiropractors and, and because we do see patients a lot and we'll see a lot of patients with mental health problems that we might not uh, fully appreciate or may even be missing. I sometimes wonder if it's a bit of that male-female thing too, and perhaps this is a message that's even more important for the male practitioners. I think as practitioners, full stop, we're, we're thinking about solving problems um, and, and sometimes that solving the problems is just listening, not necessarily you know, immediately yeah. solving. And and the terminology we're using lifeline is just sitting with their feelings. Yes. You know, I can hear how much this is affecting you. I can really see that it's causing you a lot of uh, pain and, and worry. Um, and that's often what the person just needs to know. Someone's heard them. Yes. And they've been able to experience it. And unfortunately, um, you know, in Australia, the levels of mental health and, and the levels of uh, a suicide are, are tragic figures. Um mm. In Australia, we, we lose more than 3,000 people a year to suicide. So that's eight or nine people per day. Mm, wow. um, there's an additional 65,000 attempted suicides every year. Um, 2022, Lifeline had 1.2 million calls, which equates to a call every 32 seconds. Um, and the other factor, which we don't have time to do today, but happy to talk more about um, domestic violence figures, an increase as as has self-harm figures and self-harm figures have gone up quite substantially. Mm. 
Yeah. And I think we we do see patients um, regularly and so us uh, as clinicians being aware of that I think would be um, very significant. Absolutely. Um, look, this has been a great uh, chat, Pete. Um, in summing up, what are some of the sort of the key things that you'd like to sort of cover off on in your final comments? Um, I suppose the, the the key thing is, unfortunately, everybody is different. So getting that symptom pattern for people can be quite complex and therefore monitoring how, how they're improving and changing um, can, be, can be quite involved as well. Um, but certainly I would reinforce there is good evidence that shows manual therapies, including spinal manipulation, um, has evidence to try for a trial of treatment and you can monitor all of their symptoms and see what sort of uh, changes there are. And uh, for patients suffering, in particular migraines, um, getting some relief without having to rely on medications is a wonderful achievement for them. Fantastic. All right, it's been great. And I'll look, I'll remind our listeners that this is the first in a three-part series on headaches. Um, today has been largely about uh, migraines, but we'll be covering a whole lot more. In fact, in the next uh, podcast, it's all about uh, tension-type headaches and cervicogenic headaches. Pete, thanks so much for your time on the ACA podcast today. My pleasure, Anthony. Anytime. Always happy to help. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence and look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.